Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, the subject of last week's program was God entrusting us to His grace. This week, in the second part, we'll learn what happens when we entrust ourselves to the grace of God. God's commitment to us was to become sin for us. Then what does He do? When we believe by grace through faith on Him, He commits to us the word of His grace, a finished work gospel, a future where He can't impute sin, even if He wanted to, He can't do it. He doesn't want to. And then He commits unto us a perfect position in Him. Then if we refuse... To grow in grace, he disciplines us in grace to bring about peaceable fruits of righteousness. Now, that's a pretty good Christmas gift for somebody who doesn't understand Christmas. Christ coming into the world to reveal God with life and not a concept of man-made rules and human tradition and religious ceremonialism. No one, honestly, friends, can commit themselves in marriage that doesn't become established in grace. And can I say this to you in love tonight? Many times marriages fail because the subjects do not understand the quality of true commitment. What is the quality of true commitment? The husband gives his wife grace and the wife gives her husband grace. And that's the quality of a true commitment. Then they pray in grace. They love in grace. They grow in grace. They share in grace. And here's the statement that could be the most important statement this week. When Jesus Christ died for us and gave us salvation and committed himself to us on the cross to bear our penalty. He could never have made that commitment apart from giving himself. Apart from giving himself. A true commitment in grace means I give myself. I don't do it because you want me to. And I don't do it because you deserve it. And you don't do it to me because I deserve it. The only one that deserves anything is God. But the quality of a true commitment is that we give ourselves. So Christ dies on a cross when there was none righteous, no, not one, and all had gone astray, and there was none upon earth that would... Do good in Ecclesiastes 7.20. And all had sinned and come shot of the glory of God. Yet he says, I want to make a commitment to all of those sinners. I want to pay for everything they've done or will ever do. But it doesn't stop there. Then I want to, if they'll believe on me and accept me as their Savior by grace through faith, then I will never impute sin to them ever again. That's the benefit of grace being given to them, which is called 
eternal grace. Eternal grace. So Romans, the fifth chapter and the 17th verse says, they which receive, and remember that word we use one night, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And the word abundant isn't in, is not an oversupply. We gave you three things. A supply that was just enough for your need. Then we gave you the Greek word pleiroo. Then we gave you the word that meant inexhaustible supply that can never be consumed by man. He can't exhaust it. And that's the word used there. Super abundant grace which becomes superly abundant to those that will receive it and be built up in it and start receiving their inheritance from it. It's an amazing thing. It's a shocking thing. Look diligently that you do not fail the grace of God when you understand it like that. Therefore, root of bitterness will spring up with you and many shall be defiled. In Hebrews 12:15. So if we make a commitment in marriage, our commitment should not be conditional. Honestly. And I know in natural dispositions, in natural temperament, in natural circumstances, that all of us are potentially deceitful and desperately wicked. And no two people can really be happy unless they understand the quality of true commitment and how to receive from divine resources and be blessed with daily benefits, which he loads us with in Psalm 103. He loadeth up with daily benefits. And when I understand God's commitment to the Father in my behalf, in your behalf, and when I realize God's commitment to me, the word of his grace, the eternal grace. And 1 Peter 5.10 says he's the God of all grace. And 2 Corinthians 1.3, he's the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And 2 Corinthians 1.4. And when I understand in 1 John 4.8, he's unconditional love. And we understand these principles about the attributes of God that would be revealed through this baby as he would grow up to be our Savior. Then the marriage altar, the vows are a commitment. The vows are a commitment. No one that knows God and loves him should get married until they can have a commitment in the true, in the true quality of grace. When this takes place, then in Psalm 15:4, they make these vows or these commitments to their own hurt. Job 22:27, the Word of God says they are required to pay their commitment. Why? Because they've got all kinds of grace to work things out with. You see? Deuteronomy 23:21 says God requires us to pay those commitments because the grace of God is inexhaustible in its supply and we receive from the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and that's the way we reign in one Jesus Christ in the government of his kingdom. So Psalm 116 and verse 14 says, pay our commitment in the presence of the congregation. Why? More people have made commitments to local assemblies throughout the world and throughout America 
They don't, they don't pay that commitment. Because they fail the grace of God. They get occupied with self. They begin to live in relevant righteousness. Forbidden in Job 40, verse 8. And 2 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Well, we never live in relevant righteousness or relative righteousness. Never. We live in the perfect righteousness given to us by grace in God's commitment to us through His perfect work on the cross. And that commitment, He didn't give us just a few benefits that were conditional. He gave us Himself. And Galatians 1.4 says, He gave us Himself to redeem us from this present evil world. So if I make a commitment in marriage, or I make a commitment to a friend, I'm to understand that I am to give them myself. What they do with it is not up to me. I'm to give them myself and do it through grace. That's revealing Jesus Christ, and that's the quality of a true commitment. Now, I want you to realize something that is very unique. There will never be a person, any one of us, that consistently can live in a true quality of a grace commitment and everything is grace, even if you have to recover seven times in a day. There will never be a person that consistently even understands this commitment unless they have meekness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. And remember, the first three are inward qualities. The second three are outward qualities. And the last three are upward qualities. So, meekness and temperance and Faithfulness, these three are upward qualities, meaning this is what God wants to see. So meekness then, as we have learned through the years, meekness is an inward quality where I do not resist God's will. I do not resist God's spirit. I do not grieve it. I do not go against God's word. And if I do, I instantly recover. Meekness is I'm quiet. And relax because I've accepted God's plan completely and totally to have dominion over me through the grace that he gives in the power of the constant filling of the Holy Spirit. Meekness. Remember in 1 Peter 3, 4b, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. And power controlled. A lion is tame, but it still has strength and power, but it's under its trainer's government. A horse is broken, and it still has tremendous speed and power, but it runs under the command of its master. So meekness doesn't mean to become weak, sentimental, or to compromise. But meekness means that we now have strength and power, but under our master's control. Now then, I want you to 
follow with me for just a few minutes. Isaiah 29:19, God will increase the relaxation and faith rest of the meek and give to them equity against their enemies. Equity means more provision than they need to have. God lifts up the meek in Psalm 22, 26. And in Psalm 149, 4, he beautifies the meek in deliverance. I love that verse. He beautifies the meek in deliverance. Oh, the meek. The meek will be delivered. They may struggle, but they will be delivered. The meek shall inherit the earth in Matthew 5, 5. But in Psalm 37, 11b, the meek will delight in the overabundance of peace. The meek will delight in an overabundance of peace. That's a tremendous promise. Meekness is not man's natural disposition. Oh, I wish I could get that across to you tonight. If I cried and said I want to be meek, I cannot be unless I go to the cross and receive grace and receive grace and keep on receiving grace was a present act at participle. I continually produce the action of my own will to receive something given to me by Jesus Christ. And I become a partaker of that grace in the middle voice and benefit from it. And I keep receiving grace and the grace fills me up and we might fall a given time seven times, but we get up and receive grace. Then we don't fall like that nearly as much. And we're growing in that grace and doctrine that teaches us how to crown Jesus as our Lord. And so, listen. I love this passage. It says, laying aside all superfluity, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You know what that means? Stop resisting the details of God's plan and stop being naughty when things happen that you don't like and react with your tongue and mental attitude. And then it says in that same verse in James 1.21, And receive the engrafted word with meekness, which is able to deliver your soul. Think of that. Engrafted means it goes from the left lobe to the right lobe, from gnosis, knowledge, to epinosis, experiential provision in your heart, in your frame of reference, ready for the Holy Spirit to bring in the memory center whenever needed in John 14:26. So it's with meekness, accepting God's plan without resistance, no matter what's in the plan, because there's an abundance of grace and a superabundance of mercy, a superabundance of peace, inexhaustible love, we become the objects of it because of God's commitment to us on Calvary to keep us by His power and to divinely arrange it so that we're inseparable from His love. If He's for us, no one can be against us. No one can lay any charge. No one can condemn. I don't think we understand 
this great salvation, I think we get so familiar with its beauty, so repetitious of the letter, and so unappreciative of the mercy of it all. It is truly a great salvation. Now then, when God said to Israel, after they were worshipping trees and ornaments on trees, in some cases as their gods, and they were in captivity, he said, I will love you with an everlasting love. And then he made this statement, and in loving kindness I will draw thee. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4, and the Word of God teaches that He'll draw them with the cards of a man. And in Isaiah 22, 22 to 26, that man would be nailed to a tree. The covenant of David's son, Jesus Christ, who has the keys to death and hell and the keys to giving us what we never deserve and making sure that it's eternal. And whatsoever He doeth, He doeth forever in Ecclesiastes 3.14. Now then, the world describes meekness as a man who cannot help himself, indifferent, he's, cow he's a coward. But Jesus Christ was meek because he had infinite resources of God at his command. The world is writing books on self-assertiveness and self-interest. And Jesus Christ teaches meekness, which means we give ourselves in the quality of a true commitment to God, to His Word, and to others. And we give out of our treasury house through grace to people that do not deserve it so they will benefit from the fruit of our inheritance. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Meekness means you, you're finished with yourself altogether. You're finished with yourself altogether. Now then, I want you to see that when Psalm 25.9 says, The meek will he teach. One of the great needs today is to be teachable. A person who is rooted and grounded in love in Colossians 2.7. A person who is rooted and grounded in love in Ephesians 3.17 and can comprehend it in the 18th verse. A person who's filled with all the fullness of God's grace in Ephesians 3.19 and knows that God will do it exceeding abundantly above all we even ask or think because that's where the abundant provision of grace and mercy comes in. So the meek will he teach. You need to be taught. Do we need teaching? Then come to God without resisting Him, no matter what happens, rooted and grounded in love and being built up in grace and accepting His mercy that rejoiceth against judgment in James 2.13 and let Him keep building you up, building you up, building you up and finally you become a spiritual home in 1 Peter 2.5. A living habitation of God through the Spirit in Ephesians 2.22 and joined to Him experientially in a fellowship of communion through the union of truth in 1 Corinthians 6.17 and Ephesians 5.30 and God's people begin to be free indeed inwardly and outwardly it makes them gentle, long-suffering and produce divine goodness. 
Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. In 1 Peter 3.4, Let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corrupt, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of the Lord of great price. Here the context of this verse is talking about women adorning themselves and making themselves pretty, but much more that the hidden man of the heart would be revealed and the ornament would be that meek and quiet spirit. The scriptures are very clear in many other places that there's nothing wrong, of course, with with adorning yourselves, but so much more that we would be adorned with this meekness. And And it comes through the revealing of that hidden man of the heart and what is that or who is that hidden man of the heart. And that's the life of Christ. And as we heard in the message, this true meekness comes through receiving grace. That I can't work up or produce meekness. And when we see people who we really see them as meek, certainly not something they could work up or necessarily a part of their temperament or personality. It may seem that way outwardly, but we know that meekness comes often through many trials. A verse that was quoted, Romans 5.17, we'll start in the B part. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. <laughs> Receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And it is, it's, it's this meekness is produced and I love some of the verses that where we see the different qualities that are coupled with meekness. In Ephesians 4.2, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Maybe people have mistook this lowliness and meekness to be equivalent to one another. And really, they're two different qualities. Meekness being this Strength that's under control. Strength at rest. The ability to have perspective in my mind that I do not resist the grace of God, that I do not resist God's will, but I'm submitted under it. And there's a quietness that's been produced in my soul. And my, I am at rest. And I am at rest because I have feasted on the grace of God. Just like having a wonderful meal and then afterwards, what do you want to do with a, with a full belly as you want to, you want to sit on the couch and rest? <laughs> when we've feasted on the, on the grace of God, then it, the next thing, it puts our soul in a state of rest. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Mm, it's beautiful. In 2 Timothy 2, 
starting in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So meekness, what does meekness? Meekness means I come under, and, and you notice this forbearing one another is often used with meekness, instructing and hanging in with a person. When, when I have become meek because I've received the grace of God, I can hang in with a person and give them room. Give them room to make decisions. Give them room. Room to fail if that's necessary. That meekness, I've received the grace of God, I've committed myself under the grace of God. And that hidden man of the heart becomes revealed. There's a quietness. That grace produces rest in my soul. And there's a submission to the plan of God. That we become like a weaned child, don't we? Our soul, our heart, our... We don't cry and scream that our mother would feed us. We, we have enough experience to know that even though I'm hungry, I can wait because food is coming. I've seen the consistency of the schedule of my feeding times, and I can wait because I trust the one who's providing for me. When we entrust ourselves into God's hands, when we surrender ourselves unto His will, knowing His grace, that He's for us, and that He will provide for us, and we rest in that grace we receive in that. Then, in that place, to submit myself under the plan of God and not resist it. I don't have to force myself to do it. I can take the next step in the plan of God, no matter what that means, not resisting. I can be steered by the Spirit of God as, as I'm sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So immediately, at the point of our salvation, God entrusts us to His grace, and, and He does that. And maybe over a period of time, as we become mature, we may go through our struggles, we may go through our times of resisting the plan of God, to come to a point in our lives of maturity, of being mature believers, where we trust in God's character and we entrust ourselves to the grace of God. This may happen in many different areas. We may entrust ourselves to the grace of God in certain areas, but then we see as God brings in different situations. And now again, in this moment of decision, I decide to entrust myself to grace and receive the provision God has, not resisting His will, but trusting that He has a plan, and it's a good one. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com So maybe today you're one that opposes yourself, not to say you are demeaned or less. Because certainly we are all equal and the cross makes us all equal in the eyes of God there is no one better than anyone else no one more deserving of a relationship with God it's not based on performance but the message of the gospel has been given 
so that if you do oppose yourself, there's good news, that God loves you, and that there's a way to live, and, and it first starts with receiving a free gift of salvation, that God loved you so much, he sent his son to die for all of your sins, that you might be transformed and made new, taken out of one kingdom and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. It's a free gift if you'll receive it. Once you do, God's program of grace will begin in your life. And he will finish what he begins. And he will do it in your life to bring you and turn you and transform you into that person you've always wanted to be, but you'll never be all on your own. So perhaps today you'd like to pray a prayer with me. Lord Jesus. I entrust myself into your hands. I receive you as my Savior today. Through your wondrous power, I pray, you would touch me, save me, make me yours, transform me by your grace, Lord, and give me peace in my heart. I believe you died and you were buried and you rose again, all so that I might have life. So, Lord, I trust you today. Come into my life. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen.